Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the They Came From Beyond rules by Onyx Path Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to themes for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include various hijinks, mature language, and possible show rewrites. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may or bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. And now, on with the show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm Miranda, and tonight I will be your director as we continue with part two of They Came From Beneath the Sea from Onyx Path Publishing. We will soon catch up with our plucky cast of characters and the actors that are playing them. But first, I'd like to thank our listeners everywhere, and especially those that support our show on Patreon. I'd also like to thank Onyx Path Publishing for partnering with us for this series. I fell in love with the They Came From game several months ago, and I'm super happy to have the opportunity to bring you guys some of the joy that they've brought me. So before we pick up where we left off, let's revisit our cast list. Starring... John as Scott Kennedy, small-town cop who's descended from a big-town cop who really, really has issues. Uh, played by John, a young actor trying to get his foot in the door who doesn't really understand how this low-budget stuff works. Guest starring... Martin, who's playing Edward Stein. And uh, Edward is a high school biology teacher whose uh, fortunes are looking grim. Most of his uh, best students appear to be dying and dropping like flies. Hopefully he'll be able to turn this around uh, by finding something interesting in the lab. Featuring... Rena playing Blake Masterson, the very much hungover and not at all subtle about it journalist hoping to make it big with whatever story this is, with absolutely no tact whatsoever. And special appearance by... Nate playing Terry Bruce, friendly all-American everyman, who only has one change of clothes for his uh, chef's whites and whatever was on... Betty's eyes on her body have really soaked in and I don't know what I'm going to do for work tomorrow. So I believe when we last left off, our party was splitting up uh, so they can cover more ground with Deputy Kennedy heading down to the Bayside Beachside Caves to investigate a little bit further while Terry, Edward, and Blake were headed to uh, Mr. Stein's lab. Uh, located at the local Northbury Junior Senior High School. Um, They had just loaded poor eyeball-covered Betty into the back of Terry's car. How are you riding in the car? Is everyone uh, seated up front? I imagine Miller have bench seat up front. This was probably pre-bucket seat. Indeed. You could all ride up front or someone could ride in back with Betty. Yeah, Eddie is morbidly curious as to what's going on with Betty's body. And all these eyes, so he's gonna he's gonna definitely be there prodding away with his pen, uh, and, and in character. Well, she she owes me. If I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna get a good grade, I'm gonna at least get a good discovery out of this one. So we'll see Terry, Edward, and Blake pull away. Lights oddly flickering on Terry's car as Scott heads down the path to the Bayside Beachside Caves, which we'll have our camera currently follow Scott down this path, which 
is obviously very steep, but actually it's it's just a, a couple of scenes of a mostly flat path uh, with some trees around it that he is wandering through. Uh, you find yourself as it levels out onto a very sandy beach, trudging through the sand uh, around the corner to the Bayside Beachside Caves. Yeah, and the sound effects of the wind howling and like he's he's miming walking against the wind, but the poncho that he's wearing isn't flapping at all. The camera's jostling to also let you know how windy and turbulent it is outside. But yeah, he's going to shine the torch into the cave and then shout in, Hey kids, you in there? Don't give a response back. Oh gosh, kids. What if I was wrong about the cookout? What if it's secret communism? And he's gonna hustle into the cave. Yeah, you you hustle into the the cave, Scott, and you're panning your light around the cave, and it it glints off of something metallic in the sand. Yeah, that needs to be checked out because it could be a clue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's you you pick it up, and you find an uh, it's some sort of ID badge. But what's strange is what's clutching it is a crab's claw. But not, there's something off about this claw. Uh, you, you go to pick it up and you hold it up. The, the claw is the size of your head. He looks at this and he's like, and he has a moment where he like looks at the camera and he's just like straight down the barrel. Well, as he breaks the, the claw off the, the, off the ID and stores it in a pocket well I have one rule Pa taught me one rule if I can eat it I can kill it it's a very excellent quip there John perfect use of a quip so uh, to refresh our listeners on how quips work John will get a bonus die on his next roll uh, because he used a quip successfully so uh, Scott has his pistol out and his flashlight he's put the ID actually before I put it away what kind, what's it for? Is it... <laughs> hey, before I put this clue away and totally ignore it, um, what's the clue? Other than the giant crab cloth, that's the second clue. Yeah, the, the, the badge, you turn it over, um, and it has a, the picture of a person that you don't really recognize. You've never seen them around town, but it says on it, uh, Northbury Power Plant Clearance Level 3. Mm, power Plant folks don't come to town much, I guess. Well, I knew everyone in town, you know, small town deputy, kind of my, kind of my deal. So yeah, he's going to put this in his breast pocket and he's going to, also the poncho has mysteriously disappeared now that he's in the cave. He's also not wearing the hat, his hair is wet and he's just like, kids, if you're in here, just tell me and we can all, we can all go home and there's no trouble about it. Shining flashlight around. We're just going a little deeper into the cave. You overwhelmingly in your head hear a voice that says there's no children in this cave is it a voice of a person I know or is it just a stranger's voice it is a stranger's voice it has kind of a strange uh, cadence to it like it's it's not used to producing these syllables together so it has to work at it a little bit Mm -hmm. who's there it doesn't respond back to you about that oh jeez talk about impolite Slightly freaked out by the fact that he heard a weird voice in his head. Scott's going to be like, uh, I found a giant crab claw on an ID. There's no teens. A voice told me so. Yeah, I'm going to skedaddle. And then it cuts to him like running out of the cave wearing the poncho again. 
as you're running out of the cave, why don't you roll me a, let's call it uh, survival and cunning. Or actually, while you're running, let's do let's do survival composure. Yeah, sure. Now, Miranda, mm-hmm. I'm very, very sorry. Mm-hmm. I got seven success. <laughs> happening in this game. I rolled what? three tens and an what eight. Is, what is actually happening? Now, normally I would encourage you to throw out your bad dice, but please throw out your good dice now. You, uh, something, like you feel the electricity in the air, almost if it's you're, as if you're standing right where a lightning is about to strike. The hair on your head and on your back and your arms all stands on end. And as you turn around to look back at the cave, on the side of the cliff, obviously the caves are in front, uh, the ocean is to the side, and then a cliff leads up the side of the caves. You see an eyeball blink at you, an eyeball that you would estimate to be about 25 feet wide, a series of tentacles dangling below it as it crawls up the side of the cliff. Lightning strikes it and it illuminates for a second as it climbs up the side of the cliff. Then the lightning flashes again and it's gone. Oh my god. Communist octopi. My only assumption as a 50s era man is that it is a communist and it's some kind of cephalopod, so... Mm. I have a couple of jobs uh, as a sheriff's deputy in a small town in America, and one is, one, rousting teens that are trying to go necking. Two, searching for communists. <laughs> Any kind of liberal. Honestly, I'm not even sure about the professor. Blake? Mm. Blake, I can't prove anything, but I'm pretty sure they're a card-carrying communist. You know what I'm saying? Some kind of pinko. It doesn't get more red-blooded American than Terry, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Terry is a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Look at him wearing his blue jeans with his toothpick in his mouth. Salt-of-the-earth. I love that Scott has suddenly descended into some anti-communist rant, just muttering to himself after seeing this horror. That's just the actor improving because it's the only thing he remembers from his history textbooks about communism uh, and the era is people is people were going on rants about communism in the 50s, and so he's just improving this whole thing. It's not actually in the script. Yeah, we've just got him like on camera talking to someone off camera. He's like, yeah, they, they gave me a script and it said, you can just improvise this part. It's not very important. And I, you know, I did what I could, but all I could remember about the, about the 50s and communism was that McCarthyism stuff, right? So, I mean, that's what I leaned into. Yep, so we will cut um, away from Scott Kennedy fleeing the Bayside Beachside Caves and cut to Terry Bruce, Edward Stein, and Blake Masterson pulling up in front of the Northbury Junior Senior High School. This is where you've got your lab. You you don't have a fancy kind of basement mad scientist lab, Eddie? No, um, what do you think I look like? A mad scientist? Uh, uh, that figures, I guess. Um, Doc, can you pull it round to the side there? There's a door. It uh, leads directly onto my uh, classroom with a lab on the back of it. Saves humping this thing through the, the corridors. Got it. Got it, yeah. We gotta make this fast. We're 
carrying a body through the high school, so I probably don't want anyone to see. Well, I don't be no one here at this time of night. Not, not in this storm. There's not many people here during the regular day anyway, since apparently, according to the deputy, he's catching all of them out necking. That's funny you say that, Blake. When he says neck, he's saying necking, not naked, right? Is it... I'm honestly not sure. He says it a lot. It could be either one with him. Okay, all right. I I think if you just nod and agree... But sometimes he gets excited about it. Just just nod, like like you know what he's talking about, yeah. Smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. Yeah, I haven't wanted to ask him any questions about it because I'm sort of afraid of what he'll say, but sometimes I swear he's saying I'm catching him naked and... He'll leave the diner sometimes. He'll say, I, I'm, I'm going to go out there and try and catch some kids naked. And I'm, I don't know what to do about that. So I just, as you say, yeah, a smile. Anyway, here we are. Here's the door. And then- so, Eddie, you can get us into, you can get us into your lab. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I got keys. And I'm hauling the body out and I've got it around the canvas and I'm following the good professor's lead. So Eddie will go to the, the, the side of the school where uh, there's a door to the, the classroom. It's a fire escape that he's managed to acquire a key for. So if he needs to do anything out of hours, he can just sort of, I don't know, open up, get in there. Here, uh, a dark uh, through here. And he, and he points the way through to the lab. And I'll follow. I've never been inside the high school, so I'm just following wherever you tell me to go with this dead teenage girl over my shoulder. Uh, lay, lay the body down on the on the table there. There's uh, mine. There's a Bunsen burner. I suppose she's not going to feel it, but um, we don't want to leave any marks on the body for the uh, uh, the autopsy. I'll do as instructed. Blake's going to pull out their camera and take some pictures of the eyes and the tentacle suction cup marks. And they're going to look at the camera and wink and use and say their quip. If I didn't believe my own eyes, I wouldn't be seeing this. Snapping. You just make sure you don't uh, take any photos of the, the the rest of the lab. The body's okay, but I, I don't want anyone knowing where where it is, where it's been. If you know what I mean. Sure, Eddie. Sure. Remember, you were here. Oh, I'm just an observer. Yeah, that's what they all say. Mister Sign, I don't see any reason she's dead. I mean, other than all these eyeballs, but there's no, there's nothing else. There's no wounds, no bruises. She's not bleeding. She looks perfectly healthy, except again for all these eyeballs. You don't think that's a, a little unusual, do you, Doc? Oh, I think it's terrible. And I mean, psh, I've seen some aquatic nightmares in my day, but this takes the caviar. But whoa, how did the, uh, she doesn't look hurt. She just looked like she has normal eyeballs. All over her body. Well, she does have those burns as well, if you remember. And these burns as well. And this loose skin over here, I just remembered. Why, um, look, look, um, why don't you, um, I'm gonna get a microscope. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, gonna position it above it and, and see if I can, uh, see what's going on with these burns. See if there's any, I, I don't know, when, uh, maybe, um, oh, we can swab it for residue and, uh, I can, I can, yeah, yeah, and, and, uh, disappears in a flurry of activity and then comes back brandishing a whole pile of uh, slides and swabs and test tubes and reagents. Uh, what do you got there, Eddie? Me? I, I got, well, all, all this. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swab the swab the wound. Um, hopefully we can make some sort of xenobiological discovery here. Are you gonna be using your xeno, xenobiologist trademark for this role then, Martin? 
Cool, I hadn't spotted that, but yes, definitely. Perfect. Uh, so roll a science and intellect roll, uh, and you get two extra dice for using your trademark. I don't know why I'm asking for a roll, because they've all been successful so far. So I've rolled ten dice, and I got one stinking ten. Just one ten. Well, that's two successes, though. Eh, I wanted more. <laughs> Ten dice, come on. So Martin used a trademark for his roll, and he did have two successes, which uh, in they came from beneath the sea. A lot of times all you need, especially on a roll that's not particularly dangerous, there's nothing that could really get in the way. Uh, you only really need one success, so Martin has two successes. And because the roll is successful, uh, Martin can gain directorial control over the scene which allows him to make some sort of change to the scene, either adding something, adding something to the plot, or taking something away. Cool. I think I have one. So um, Eddie's going to grab his microscope and uh, look, I'm, I'm going to take a look at one of these burns here. They're, uh, they're, 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 I don't know, I've never seen anything like this before on, on human flesh. And uh, Eddie notices that, uh, this is the directorial bit, one of the wounds has got a, a, a strange luminescent glow. Look, it's, it's. Can you can you see that? Hey, Doc, Blake, can can it's it's glowing. It's glowing a bit. Blake's taking pictures with their camera. It would seem as if Betty has been infused with even her own uh, like a, a separate electro electrical current within her body. Do you think it's like one of those weird jellyfish kind of things? You know, they they kind of glow when you look at them under certain light. I don't know. I, I think it could be radioactive. I've got a, I've got a Geiger counter and uh, under the bench there. Let, let me go and get it. Yeah, the Geiger counter is just all over the place, spiking up when you get it near her. My God, it's it's radioactive. Eddie Blake, this thing is glowing. What's glowing? And you said power. She looks like she's been burned. Remember our lights flashing on the cars? Like there's something electrical about all of this. You think she's been electrocuted? You think that's what these burns are? That don't explain the eyes, though. Ain't nothing explain the eyes. I don't know. Maybe it's a mutation. Can um, Eddie use his Eureka trope to kind of put these facts together and reach a conclusion? How does that work exactly? You're really good at putting clues together and figuring out the bigger picture. You gain in-depth understanding of a clue once a session. Whatever attacked... Betty, you are kind of putting these clues together. There's this weird residue that you had kind of talked about seeing the suction cup markers. Whatever attacked Betty, whatever this residue was that touched her, um, it did two things to her. One, it seemed to drain her of energy. There's some sort of uh, electrical draining force that would have probably stopped her heart. But whatever touched her is also obviously a, a radioactive creature, and the residue that touched her also mutated her flesh in a way that would make it grow these eyeballs. And you can judge from the suction cups that it must be some sort of tentacle. I believe we've discovered a new life form. I'm going to call it a, a, I don't know, a, a, an Edisteinian. Okay, so... What is this thing, Eddie? What what does it do? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a. Uh, it, it is it like a machine or something? It's a new life form. It's a, uh, um, some sort of 
zoological. Uh, oh, damn it. Can I, can I get another line? It, feed, it feeds off the electricity. Consume, consuming, consuming. It's a consuming thing. That's right. It's, it's like it's taking these students and it's using them like a battery. Sucking the life force. So, Terry, your wife was a battery. Sorry to tell you that. Every time you tell me something about my wife, I get sadder, Blake. I hope you realize that. Sadder and sad. I'm glad we've named this thing. Have you figured out how to kill it? Because all we need to do is get rid of this thing. We gotta find it first. We need, we, we need, uh, I don't know, maybe we can take this Geiger counter and uh, go around town, see, seeing if we can pick up a trail. Well, all of this stuff happened near the water, right? This might be a good point for Scott Kennedy to have, having left the caves, um, I'm assuming he's gonna go try to find the gang to tell him what he found. Yeah, he actually ran all the way back to town, like, hoof, like just full speed sprinting, like he's very athletic, so he can do that. You but, know you had a car, you have a car there. Well, to be fair, the thing crawled in the direction of my car. <laughs> mm, that is true, and your car is almost certainly dead now. Most, most likely, it seems to, based on how the other cars are, I'm just like, Ugh. you know what? I'm not gonna go where the giant 25-foot eye and tentacles was. <laughs> Scott Kennedy comes bursting into the, the science classroom. Hair is clearly wet, but also combed to look like it's... He's just off the makeup chair. You guys aren't gonna believe this. I just saw a 20-foot, five-wide eye with tentacles bigger than a barn. Giant tentacle creature. I'm bigger than a barn. I feel like that part you kind of passing up on it. Also, able to climb cliffs, like sheer vertical cliffs. Just able to scoop on up. So, that thing I was saying, boys, about from the water, you know, how we maybe don't need to go all around town. The lights in the building die. Oh, look. That's convenient. Maybe we don't have to find it. It found us. Stare directly into camera. Quick time. Hold on to your Bunsen's, kids. So wait, what do you folks know about this thing? It, it's radioactive. It, it's, it's using the kids as batteries and his wife. I'm very sorry to hear that, Mr. Bruce. And he just puts a hand on his older man's shoulder and he's like, I'm real sorry to hear that. I gotta be honest, Doc, I kind of thought you were bullshitting this whole time, you know, like you tend to do about that 30-foot marlin you said you caught that one time. But I gotta admit, you were right this time. Nate, the actor for Terry Bruce, has the ability to cry, on, but it's like once a day. So we insert the old, the old, the, the scene of him crying in the parking lot and just sort of framed in just his face because he's crying for a second. Yeah, that parking lot was a silent state. So, I mean, we can do that pretty easily. And then back to me not crying in completely uh, different state. The Marlin was real. Dottie was real. You're all brought up to speed, Scott, but I'm going to tell you something. All we really care about and all we need to know, how do we kill it? And he sticks his thumbs in his belt like some hick sheriff. And he's like, well, you know, it's more than one way to skin a cephalopod, Mr. Bruce. And he's, he, he's like, that was a quip. Yeah, that was a quip. Just going to put that one out there. <laughs> I don't know about killing it. You don't know why to kill it? Uh... No, no, I mean, maybe we could, we, we could capture it and uh, we can 
Solar discovery to science. I put it where? Mr. Stein, you're a, you're a high school biology teacher. This thing was an eye 25 foot wide. That is bigger than this classroom. I know, I'm a, I'm a high school biology teacher now, but just imagine if we can get this thing back to a, you know, uh, some sort of government institution, I could be a research scientist. Well, I think I know where it's going. And he takes out the claw, and he's like, no, wait, wrong thing. Puts down the, the huge crab claw. <laughs> where the hell were you holding that? Scott, come on, where? It's as big as your head, Scott. And if you look at the look at the footage, he's actually had this giant claw sticking out of his back pocket the whole time. And he's like, oh, no, wrong thing. And he reaches in, he takes out the power plant carrot. He's like, see, I found this in the cave. And he just puts it down and slides it across for everybody to see. Held by the crab claw. Which, Terry, if we can get more of these, we could make a really, really good crab claw stew. Gumbo. Or chowder. Gumbo. Feel like we're more New England then. No, but I'm thinking like New England gumbo because I've had gumbo. It's great, but you know we don't have any of that stuff up here. So if we got these giant radioactive crabs, I mean I'm sure they'd be great for gumbo. Focus, 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 focus. We can't use crabs that big. That that uh, first of all, that meat's gonna be tough as nothing. I mean something that gets that big, the meat's gonna. But second, that is what did you call it, Eddie? Mutated. It's a genetic mutation. You can't eat that. And like Scott's scratching his forehead with the with the iron sight on his revolver. And he's like, look, Terry, I don't know nothing about nothing. But uh, hang on a minute. Uh, if, if the nuclear power plant has got radioactive materials in it and this thing is radioactive, do you think it came from the plant? Gosh, I mean, I don't know much about much, but uh, I, I think maybe... Something happened to somebody at the plant, and he had an accident, and then maybe was eaten by a crab, and became that weird eye monster I saw, because it could communicate with me telepathically. Oh, you sort of buried the lead there, Scott. The thing communicated into your mind? You didn't mention that. You could have mentioned that quicker, I think. I'm just saying. Well, you know, you know, Mr. Bruce, I, it, you told me there were no kids in the cave. And to be honest... And you believed it? But I took it at its word. Why? Well, for one thing, I just had a voice projected in my head while I couldn't detect. And, uh, you know, I just found the giant crab claw and the the ID. And the, ID, the crab claw was holding the ID, but I, until I cracked it. Um, you know, I had a lot going on. I am still processing an awful lot of things. Blake, I'd appreciate if you perhaps took the time to appreciate what I have gone through today. <laughs> I'm just saying, we've all got our things that we're going through. Uh-huh. So all that stuff about duty and saving lives and all of oh, that. Oh, we're totally going to do that, but I am very upset by do by what I have seen. I'm deeply upset. Can't you tell? But I'm a stiff, stiff upper lip type American white red-blooded man. I'm good at repressing my emotions and burying them deep down. I will deal with them after the emergency has passed. Like, Rena, the actor, is getting visibly more and more frustrated by how not in character... Uh, the actor John is just throughout this entire movie. John again talking to someone off camera. And he's like, yeah, no, you know, I thought it'd be really stoic and uh, try and be a guy who doesn't understand anything. He's doing his best with all it. But uh, yeah, no, uh, Rena really did not agree with my interpretation of the script. Uh, yeah, they uh, they took exception to an awful lot of things. But 
they said John should be like crying or something. And I said, well, I don't know how to cry and not be really ugly. Um, my looks are an awful lot of my brand. So yeah, that, that that's why. Eddie runs over and puts his arm around Scott and goes, "Look, uh, I, I know it's uh, I know it's been tough since your dog died, but uh, you, you'll get over it. Trust me." I just don't know if I'll ever be able to feel again. Good Lord, screw the dog! There's a child on this slab here, dead. What are we doing here? This thing is coming for us. We have to kill it. I think we should get to the power plant. I mean, that's got to be where it is, right? Well, it would explain why the power to the school has flickered and gone out. Also, again, I cannot emphasize enough to you the size of this thing. Bigger than a barn. Eyes all over, tentacles. Big ball squirming thing. Yeah, real real unpleasant. You said it's got 25 feet as well. I mean, that must be... No, uh... no, 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 no. It, it is 25 foot. It... Oh. There's a slam cut, and it's it's Terry in the parking lot looking at that red shoe. Just... And then looking over at Eddie as the clarification and just shaking his head. Oh, oh. My God. <laughs> It's all right feet. It's been leaving the left shoes behind. So Scott, I think we can take both of our cars. We can drive over to the uh, power plant. Uh, oh, I, uh, I left my car behind. Um, again, 25 foot wide, eyeball with tentacles. Where'd you leave it? Where, you left the car. Up to the top of midpoint. Your car with, with your police equipment and the radio and the guns and stuff? It, well, the guns and stuff were on me, Mr. Mr. <laughs> I know that my accent is changing in scene because <laughs> I'm trying. It's like, well, no, I've got my badge, my pistol, my flashlight, and let me see what else I got here on my person. I got a baton, aka a nightstick, and I got a pair of handcuffs. Pretty much all that I'd have in the car anyway. Uh, now, I will admit there is a sandwich in there. Yeah, well, that's going to have to do. Well, um, look. But before we leave, we can't we can't leave Betty on here. I mean, uh, I, I, what, what if somebody comes in and discovers her on the in the lab? Um, yeah, we, we, we can at least move her to mathematics or something. I, I don't want to get the finger for this. I think I might have a better idea, Eddie. You have a big cafeteria in your high school, right? Yeah. You, you thinking fridge? And I'll bundle her up back in the canvas and carry her out and walk down to the cafeteria and lay her out in the... Uh, whatever the refrigerator or freezer available in that is. It's very dark because the power's out. It's this way, dark. And I stop walking halfway down the hallway, turn around and walk towards the direction Eddie told me. Come on, just, just through here. And we stow the body of this teenage girl right next to all the pre-cut slices of pizza. So you're headed out to go to the power plant. That is the plan. I mean, you can call it that. So you have uh, Deputy Kennedy's flashlight as the, the lights are dead, and you head out side of the school, out the side door, the emergency exit, where Mr. Stein had, had you parked your car. Um, there isn't anything illuminating. It seems like the power's kind of gone out in this area, and, and also your car's not there. My red Chevy Bel Air is missing. Mm-hmm. First my wife, now my car. This is the American nightmare. Lightning flashes and your car falls from the sky. No! Damaged, completely dead, and you look up to see the tentacled stocks, a massive eye looming above you, looking down at you. <laughs> Scott turns to me and he's like, I see why I just ran rather than go get the car that it was next to. 
One of the tentacles wraps around a light pole and you see the light pole light up in special effects and then the eye also illuminates in special effects. Sort of, it looks like a radio, radiological lighting up and pulsating of the light bulb. Terry's shaking his head. No wife, no car. This thing, I don't get paid enough for this. And I <laughs> exit the scene. All right, so Nate has activated a trope and paired it with a quip uh, to get out of the scene. He does not get paid enough for this and has walked off set, leaving Scott Kennedy, Blake Masterson, and Edward Stein to deal with this tentacled creature. So why don't we, um, because you look like delicious electricity-filled morsels, and uh, the electricity is currently gone from this place, so why don't we roll for initiative? You can either choose to roll, let's say, athletics and cunning or empathy and dexterity, your choice. And then let me know how many successes you get. I'm sure it'll be in the upper single digits. Four successes. I have wonderful news. When? Not a single success. Oh, thanks, John. You know what, John, just for me, I don't know if you get rewrites uh, for initiative rolls, but I'm going to give you one anyways here. We have so few. <laughs> yeah, you have, you're up to six. Mm-hmm, which is half of our maximum. Ah, uh, no, I got nothing. No successes. So our initiative order then will be uh, Rena, then me, then Martin, and then John. Now, as far as how a turn in combat goes. Essentially, at this point, we're pulling in on the action. Uh, you will each have focus for your turn, and essentially, a turn is as long as it takes for you to do something. You can pick to do a single action. If you have some sort of chained action that you'd like to do, we can attempt to do some things like that as well. Just kind of let me know what you want to do, and I'll let you know how it works. Running away is an option. <laughs> And also your tropes might come into play here. If you've used some quips, you might have some extra dies and any trademarks that you want to get a couple extra dice for, you're welcome to do that as well. So I think Blake is going to quickly take a picture and then run. <laughs> okay, so you want to try to get a, a picture uh, well, of this thing. No one's going to believe me if if I don't get a picture. I mean... People keep asking me for pictures of things, so that's what the editor wants. That's what the editor's gonna get. That's ins that's inspired, Blake. You're, you're trying to blind it. Good plan. So we'll do a technology and cunning. And I used a quip earlier. Does that give me a extra die? Yep. Okay. It's gonna give me six. One success. I will say uh, one success will get you the picture of the creature, but you're not quite able to start running away yet. If you had additional successes, then I would have allowed you to start doing that. But lightning flashes right as you click your camera and you're able to snap a picture of this thing. I am going to have one of my tentacles reach out and grab or attempt to grab Mr. Stein. So I will be uh, rolling to attempt to uh, grapple you. That's a lot of dice there. Yeah, well, I didn't roll super great. Okay, so five successes. 
so I hit you with my close combat to establish the grapple. That'll be one success. And then the difficulty for you to break free from this is going to be four successes. So I essentially have four against you on the grapple. So you can attempt to break free. This tentacle wraps around you um, and starts to squeeze you, Dr. Stein. God damn it, you can have my shoes if you want. It's not a problem. So you can choose to try to break free from the grapple. You can choose to try to gain control in the grapple if you would like to. Uh, it is your turn, Martin. Ed is going to... Um, yeah, he's just going to try and break free. This isn't good. Hunt, hunt, hunt me! So I would imagine that this is going to be an athletics might roll with a difficulty of four. So you will need to get four successes. If you would like to, as a reminder, you have some bonuses from using your quips. You can use rewrites to add to the dice pool as well. You can also use, if any of your trademarks apply, like a taste for danger. Yeah, we'll go for a taste for danger. So that will give you two extra dice. He's going to try and, well, whilst breaking free in his right hand, he's got a, a weird looking pen in his hand, which is probably filled with some sort of noxious substance. God only knows why he's, um, he's kept it in his pocket, but hey, there it is. So yeah, he's gonna gonna roll his. Uh, so it's three, three, sorry, uh, three, three might, athletics, and two additional die for the taste for danger. What does he get for a quip? Uh, you get extra die for your quip if you've used a quip once, then you get it. If you use the same quip top twice, then you get two dice. But I think you've only used your quips once, yeah. Got the total of six. One success. Ah, uh, so you are not quite able to break free from your uh, the grapple of this creature as it begins to lift you up in the air and it's wrapped around you. Blake, Scott, it's, it's squeezing me. I've got hardly any breath left. Scott, it is your turn. Uh, Scott is going to do the classic pose where he sticks his butt out a little and fires his revolver from the hip. You, know, <laughs> I'm like... Do you know the the movie pose I'm talking about where they like they hold the revolver one-handed? Very wide set stance. Just like leans forward and fires from the hip. And he's like, pow, pow, pow. It does nothing. Um, that was for set dressing. However, what I would like to do. Yeah, I'm going to try and shoot the tentacle that's actually holding Edward. Okay. Uh, so that's close combat, I guess. It's going to be, so depending on how far away you are, if you're at short range, which would be three to 30 yards slash meters, we treat them the same in this game, then the combat attribute will be um, dexterity. And I would call it aim and dexterity. Ah, excellent. Martin, you're in luck. I've got two dice. So the diner chef shoots a better gun than the deputy? Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. At no point did we say I was good at being a deputy. I will point out that I barely passed the exam. Part of the exam was a gun. Now, the uh, monster, the Eye of the Storm, is much larger than you. Um, so it has a scale three. And so what that means is that it'll take some extra successes in order for you to be able to do damage to it. And so to actually hit it and hurt it, it will take three successes. Well, I actually have an extra dive from using my quip earlier. Yep. So... I have that going for me. 
you could add to your dice pool with uh, rewrites as well, if um, if the group would like that. Or I, I've got my own thing in mind for my rewrites later, but I'm just like, uh, we just... I have three dice. I'm willing to, to gamble with Martin's life on these. Yeah, no successes. I uh, I very much feel like a Roger Corman action hero against an unknowable horror. We'll roll it back around to Rena, Blake Masterson. Blake sees all of this going on. Blake does not have a gun and they're going to run away while yelling water puts out electricity I don't know if that helps but that's all I got right now I don't think that's how that works Blake, Blake literally doesn't have any ideas like they're, they're just thinking uh, water I don't know I'm out of here yeah and also it's in the script and they are co- they are committed to the script it's a stupid B movie idea it's horribly written yeah yeah, and they're committed to the script, so they say it anyway, even though it makes no sense. I will call your running away in athletics and uh, either dexterity or stamina. Three dice, because I don't have anything in athletics. <laughs> I've got one success. Well, running away doesn't take too much, so it's it's actually fine. But you do run in one direction, and you realize that, that the door that you're going to run out of on that side of the set doesn't work. And then you run the other way and slip between two buildings that are actually just two building fronts. And I'm muttering, Rena, the actor, is muttering about stage directions need to be accurate. Ah. It is now uh, my turn. So I will actually be channeling, uh, as I am a nimbus of power and electricity flows differently in the presence of uh, the Eye of the Beast, I'm going to channel some electricity along my tendrils, sacrifice one of my health, and afflict four, inflict four damage against Scott Kennedy, who's just tried to shoot me. Now, how damage works is there are different levels of damage. They're at the bottom of your character sheet. Uh, and as you get hurt, you get stronger. So the first level is just a flesh wound. That would be three damage. Now, Scott, you can choose to either shrug off the damage or take it. If you choose to take it, we will fill up one full line of damage. If you choose to shrug it off, then you'll roll against my damage. Uh, You will roll essentially your stamina, uh, just your stamina, and that then take away from the damage that I've caused. So would you like to take this damage or shrug it off? I think the, the screenplay works a bit better if uh, Scott fires the gun and then gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take damage. Okay. So fill up all of the boxes under just a flesh wound. And going forward, any skills that are marked with an AR, which are related to your archetype, you will have plus one die for. And it will be Martin's turn now. God damn it, you tentacle beast. I'm, uh, I'm going to... Ah, I'm gonna show you what for and he's gonna um, just um, he's got this theory that if he kind of tries to lift his legs up and and crouch up into a ball he'll somehow be able to exert some force on the the side of this tentacle Uh, and really if he breaks free it will probably just be um, reacting to the foul nature of the jacket that he's wearing it's this really coarse nasty almost hessian like fabric he can't afford good clothes Kennedy it might just drop him in disgust, but we'll, we'll see. So what skills are you trying to roll for that to break out of this grapple? I'm going to try and push a mite if I can, because as I say, he's just trying to 
You can do might and then what skill paired with that? Like, a, are we doing athletics might or? I'm going to try and be slightly crafty. Now, he's a biologist, so he's going to know exactly how uh, these creatures work. So he's going to try and analyze it. Yeah, science, <laughs> a science might. Yeah, the, the cerebral push. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go for it. That's seven successes. Oh, yes. You are able to break free from this grapple. Um, Now, you only needed four to overcome the difficulty. Is there anything that you want to do with those extra three successes? Oh, this is this is perfect. So it's it's only one success, but I think it fits it perfectly. So Eddie, um, as he as he falls to the ground as he manages to get away from his tentacle he's going to slip his right shoe off and the idea is that if he gets it in the eye the eye will have to blink and it won't be to see anybody so he's going to going to go for a combat stunt blind and uh, he's going to use his right shoe um, skillfully flicked into the middle of this thing's eye I, I, I like it I'll allow it so you with your extra success as you're slipping out uh, you toss your shoe and you blind your opponent and they will have a plus one difficulty on their next action. Also, Eddie, I think as you were recently grappled by the eye, can you possibly roll for me a survival and let's call it survival and resolve. Survival and resolve, so he's got two under survival and resolve is three he's not too bad at either of those really Mm, two successes that's 110 you begin to feel a a spot on your arm that wasn't quite covered with your sleeve begin to itch and we'll uh, jump ahead to john's turn i would like to activate a cinematic twas beauty did something to the beast players with this cinematic can activate it to initiate a romantic plot or subplot that, with the connivance of the director, could alter the entire complexion of the conflict going forward. Or it might not. That depends on the motivations of the characters involved. Usually, it involves aliens and involves slime. I think it would be interesting if the eye had developed a thing for Edward, and that was why it had picked him up. The eye just wants Edward. It won't hurt him. It just wants him because he takes such a an earnest interest in it. And he seems so not threatening to it. He doesn't want to hurt it. He wants to understand it. And that's all the eye wants, Miranda. The eye just wants to be understood. Also to eat, eat electricity from the bodies of teenagers and possibly the local power plant. However, the creature loves Edward Stein. It feels spurned because he threw a shoe in its eye. You actually see a teardrop build within the eye and and drop and hit the pavement next to you. And it's like a six foot teardrop because of how big the eye is. Absolutely massive. It's as salty as the sea. <laughs> you hear a voice in your heads. Why, Edward? Why would you scorn me like this? Oh my God, is, is it my ex-wife? Where, where, where the hell is she? I didn't know you were married before, Edward. I, I can hear voices in my head. What the what the hell is going on here? We could make beautiful science together. It is my wife, my ex-wife. Helena, where are you? I'll always be with you now, though, Edward. That spot on your arm begins to itch more. 
I'll always be watching you. What? What, what, what have you done? Shh. We'll meet again. Soon. Oh my god. At this point, um, you see a very over overplayed Eddie. Someone's gone absolutely mad with the acting in this particular moment. It's way a character. I hope you think about what you've done to me. You've hurt me today, Eddie. My eye. My eye's all I have, Edward. You hear sobbing in your mind. And electricity surges from the power lines. As the eye runs off, well, stalks off. Clinging to the power lines. Consuming as it goes. Like a spurned lover eating ice cream, which I relate to all too well. And Scott co- comes over like singed. Someone has taken like boot polish and just scuffed his cheek with it. And it's just like, way to go, Mr. Steen. You, uh, you really hurt that thing. You're right. We've got to get it in the eye. Yeah. I, I think that's the only way we can take it down. Where the hell did Doc go? Uh, he escaped. <laughs> I'm, I'm real glad he uh, he escaped, realizing what it must have done to his love, much loved wife, Dot Dottie. There's a very awkward cut, and it's now just all four of you in the parking lot again. Blake is at a uh, payphone when they ran away. They're calling up their editor to babble about the story. <laughs> so when you when it cuts to outside, there's. I guess Doc just sitting on the curb looking sad <laughs> and Blake is is in the payphone box just on the phone. You see them gesticulating wildly and, and you can just hear bits of biggest story. No, no, I, I've got pictures this time. Just all these things over and over. All right, this thing's going to eat all of our electricity, which is a huge threat we cannot have. It seems to be weak for Mr. Steen here, so uh, I think what we should do is we should, uh, lure it to somewhere where we can hurt it. Now, do you think maybe if, since it eats electricity, we could f- pump it so full of electricity that it kind of burst? Scott, I I think you're onto a winner. I've got a a, um, a a portable atomic generator. If we could, I don't know, maybe you could use me as bait. You could you could set the generator up and, and fire it off and, uh, yeah. And you, perhaps, could serenade the creature. Yes. Serenade? What, 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 is, what do you mean? Well... You want him to sing to it, Scott? Why? Seems to be romantically interested in him. What? Yeah, no, the eye seems to be romantically interested in Edward. It picked him up and got upset when he threw a shoe in it. I don't think it was actually hurt. I think it was just upset. Well, what do you reckon? Sh- shall we give it a go? I'll go and get the generator from the lab. So if I get, if, if I get your plan straight... And I put down um, a cigarette I was smoking, and I, I've got a, a glass cocktail, and I, oh, oops, I put that down on the ground, and I turn around, and so if I got your plan straight, a little bit of electricity has made this thing 25 feet tall and incredibly powerful and strong, so a lot of electricity will kill it. That's, that's, our, that's our plan. I just want to make sure I understand. Because I'm sort of a simple guy, and I just, I, I, you know, A to B to C to Z. I just want to make sure I know what we're going. So a little bit of electricity made it strong. A lot will kill it. You can't question the script, Doc. Nate. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. It's in the script, Nate. <sighs> All right. 
Yeah, but I, in my script here, it says... You actually say, all have several different versions of the script, as there's been a number of rewrites. My version has that this is a great idea, but yours seems to say this is a terrible idea. Which one's, which one's the most recent? Oh, they're not dated. Okay. Oh, I don't okay. know. Does anyone have old Joe Davis in their script? Because I had a whole scene with old Joe Davis, but I don't think we talked... Does anyone else have Joe Davis? He I mentioned him in, in like a really early scene, but I... Oh no, there's a whole... It never gets... They got rid of that character, guys. Move on. Yeah, move on. <sighs> Pacing. All right, well, I got... I mean, I'm just saying what I'm supposed to say. It's not like you memorize your lines anyway. Well, like Davis said... Wait, no, that doesn't make any sense, though, because we didn't do the Davis. I throw the script away. Yeah, let's do it. It was a poor choice for us to film this... Uh, this whole movie uncut with one, one, one. We only have one reel of film. Um, guys, the budget for this is very low. No, it's it, this is the special director's cut that they released after this becomes a cult classic in like 30 years. Someone went and found all this old archival footage of the actors uh, muttering where all the awkward cuts are in the movie and they spliced it back in. And so this is the special <laughs> director's edition. Yes, absolutely. I bend down, I get my glass back. And well, Eddie, I think um, I think if you want to do this, I've got some stuff at the shop that might might help to amp this thing, this, this this generator up, this portable nu- portable nuclear generator up. That sounds like a plan. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, oh, the idea is if you um if you imagine you ate like 10 steaks and then another 10 and then another 10 and then eventually you would explode and uh that's the theory. We could also use the electricity to feed it mo- an explosive. That, that is a possibility. As long as I get to document whatever it is you idiots are doing. That's a small town defense. <laughs> small town <laughs> sheriff's deputy. I uh, don't have much in the way of resources, but I do have this... Well, I don't think I can talk about that right now. I don't think any of you folks have clearance. And he just, like, looks off to the side... <laughs> It's like, look, we've got a, we've got something back in the station we've been working on, and, well, we don't know how legal it is. I mean, look, so you know when you start a job and you got, you got all these things that you're like, I don't know how these relate to each other, but I just do what I'm told. I think we've been making some kind of death ray, but I'm not entirely, entirely sure. But police chief Fitzsimmons is, he's, he's a weird guy. Guys, I don't like to say it about my boss, but he is a weird guy. Miranda, I am trying to set up my this will self-destruct item. <laughs> okay, yeah, go for it. I'm like, uh, now we have been working on what we call a death ray. It's super government top secret, and I don't know if it actually is made with illicitly sequestered town funding. However, we have been putting together a weird doohickey. Now, it doesn't fire, but it does use a lot of power. You may recall the brownout from two months ago. That was when we first tried to test shoot it at Marv, the, the local drunk. I knew um, that was you. But no one can prove it now. I can now. Look, all I'm saying is we've got, we've got something that might work and it could help us with this thing, this very upset eye. So if, if it uses up electricity, essentially we turn it on and we use it to sap up this creature's electricity. Is that what you're saying? That's also I'm putting that out there as a as another option, just in case the feeding it electricity isn't a good idea. 
hang on a minute. Maybe we can, it's got, it's got all these tentacles. Maybe we can hook two of the tentacles up to the polyatomic generator and, and we can hook the death ray up to another two tentacles and we, and we can use it as a giant fuse. So this thing shows up every time these giant thunderstorms show up with the lightning and stuff. So how do we attract it to where we need it to be? If we don't have that thunderstorm, can we, can we get the power plant going? No, no, Edward, Edward, look, look, it loves Edward. So what if Edward was in danger or alternatively, Edward, as I said earlier, was to serenade the creature. You're suggesting sea shanties, romantic sea shanties. Oh, you've, you've got it all wrong. Look, it's my polyester trousers. When I rub them together, um, furiously, it's, it's the static. It's attracted to the static. I mean, based on the dialogue we already recorded, I think it loves you because Jenny, and he, he gestures over to the voice actress who did the voice for the eye. Is, I mean, she did a swell job, but she already recorded the dialogue and uh, I was there for that in the studio that day. I was doing some of my Foley work. Oh, okay, everything we've done so far is canon. We, are, we do not have the budget to reshoot. Let's pick one of the scripts and go with it. The director isn't even here today. So we just have to make an executive decision. Rena is looking slightly manic and actually pulls out Blake's hip flask, which is supposed to have water in it, but does not, and takes a huge swig. I, I'm getting paid by the scene, not by the hour. We need, we need to hurry this up. Eddie, what do you think about this serenade plan? Apart from the fact I can't fucking sing, I mean... Uh... Okay, why don't we... Let's put Nate and Martin, sorry, Eddie and Doc in the power plant. If it wants Eddie, then it'll go after Eddie in the power plant. We get both done at the same time. Eddie, I got an idea. Why not, let's go get your power thing and go to the power plant, like Blake is saying. If we need to, Martin, you can improvise shanty. Or a confession of your true love. I mean, you've got that Romeo to... you got some Shakespeare prep, right? I mean, you, I heard you were big on the stage back before, you know, the incident. I I, I already did Macbeth. I uh, I didn't... Oh, shit, I, I mentioned the name of the play. You cursed this whole production. You're dead to me. It was a, a good place to uh, cut it for the episode with the cast devolving into conflict with one another on trying to determine what scene comes next in their multiple rewrites of the script and the director not even there for today. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us on this behind-the-scenes director's cut of They Came from the Eye of the Storm. We'll uh, see you next time. Mm -hmm.